It is time to kick the tires and light the fires. It is once again one day closer to dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, how are things going in the land of the vanilla Godzilla and Mitch McConnell? <laughs> oh, you had to throw that in there. Hey, you know, it's it's about the same as it's always been. That bad, huh? I thought I'd get to it before you. Um, Why not? It's, it's okay. I mean, you know, it's the weather's getting a little bit colder here, and things are the way they are. Um, you know, work and weather and people and shit like that. So, yay, Lexington. And how about Los Angeles, California? Well, that sounds very exciting. Um it is, you know, the world is burning, and um, the the industry that I work in may soon be on strike. So it's a box of fluffy ducks over on the West Coast. That's cool. Excellent. I can make some calls for you, get you a restaurant job if you want. I will respectfully decline. Heard. Uh, unless uh, you are fine with customers getting thrown through plate glass windows when they step out of line. I've done that every I- once in a while. I know, I remember that. Though you prefer revolving doors, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Was there ever any like fo- follow up, follow through, fallout, any of the above? Uh, other than the dude that I kicked out, calling back the next day and barely remembering what the fuck happened and realizing he left his wallet behind, he he apologized and you know all that good stuff. And we had to we had to explain to him that he was whipping out his dick and gonna take a piss all over the floor in front of uh, women and children and. Uh, you know, he was like, oh, golly gee, that's horrible. I'm so sorry. You know, it's Jekyll and Hyde type shit. But uh, no, that was uh, that was the follow up on that. Well, uh, you know, I, I love stories that have happy endings. So I'm, I'm glad he gave you a happy ending, Jason. Well, I'll tell you what, I will take a happy ending anytime. And that's not <laughs> fetishizing anything. That's just happy endings. That's just talking about your, you know, your your webcam business. But um you know, let's start the show with a little bit of a, a rant, Jason. You and I have talked many times over the over the weeks in the past, and the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dozens of all ages have have really resonated with this on the importance of physical media. We've had many conversations about this. We've talked about Ron Perlman's issues with uh, iTunes and and the yeah. rumored Bruce Willis lawsuit that ended up being urban legend, but that whole thing. I have to say, Jason, physical media failed us in the past week. At least me. I believe it failed you as well. Uh, We have talked also extensively on this show about the biography series that A&E did on a bunch of WWE legends. You and I were big fans of the ones, particularly with Roddy Piper. And then you more than me on Stone Cold Steve Austin, though I still enjoyed it. So you had informed me a while ago that that was coming to hard copy DVD. You know, they didn't find it. They didn't think it merited a Blu-ray, but DVD. All right. So uh, you and I both ordered this off of Amazon, Jason, and uh, mine came in, and um, it had the wrong fucking discs in it. So then I checked Amazon, and according to the reviews, they all had the wrong fucking discs in it, at least volume one, which is the one that I wanted, the one that had Roddy's. And I own it digitally, but I wanted a hard copy, and they sent me the wrong fucking shit. So I wrote a review, and Amazon refused to post it because my review consisted of politely saying they sent the wrong discs in the package. And Amazon's like, well, that was a comment directed at the seller and not the product. Motherfucker, that was the product! So anyway... Uh, have you opened yours, Jason? Did you have the same problem that I and many others did? Yes, I did. Uh, but the interesting part is 
I completely understand. I believe they're trying to rectify it in some way. I, I don't How? know. We're basically, uh, you got to contact uh, Amazon directly and say the wrong thing is in this motherfucker and see where we go from there. But, I was told to send it back and they'd give me a credit. Nice. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, on the physical media front, okay, folks, it's hit and miss out there. You take what you can get, okay? It's a lot like living in a Mad Max society, which I prefer anymore than digital streaming fucking anything, okay? So while I absolutely understand your your outrage, Dave, because you know I'm I'm slightly outraged myself, certainly not to the point. Uh, I that you wanted are. my biography on Roddy Piper. They sent me one on the fucking Ultimate Warrior. Okay, can I continue? This is unacceptable, okay, Jason. Heard? Just just sit down and have your metamucil. Calm down a second. What I did enjoy about that DVD is I also wanted to get the one with Bret Hart on it. So. Problem solved, and I never got to see the one on Shawn Michaels. Problem solved, kind of. So we'll see what we can do. But what I was telling everybody out there to get this biography uh, documentary on on Roddy Piper, I said, honestly, I'm just straight up serious that I know that Dave doesn't like the term or, or believe in it as much with of cancel culture or whatever the term is that you you're not that fond of i I just think it gets misused in public discourse but i know what you're saying i kind of do understand that that term very well and i love roddy piper and think it's just a matter of time before we're not gonna see any real roddy anything because of I mean, the WWE uh, retrospective documentary uh, DVD thing that came out years ago that we both have is called Born to Controversy. And it actually goes into, if you believe it or not, a lot of the crazy shit Roddy did and said, okay? That is was a little more whitewashed, honestly, in the documentary, but also his family in the A and E documentary. In the A and E documentary, but his okay. family was there, and that made the whole difference, you know, and and explained a lot more than had been in his private life, and that was great. But what I was trying to tell all you 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 friends and family members of One Day Closer to Dead, who also love Roddy Piper, either you know on your own or because of us or through us or whatever, is I do believe that documentary is the finale of the Roddy Piper public re- reality of re- reality check of Roddy Piper, because from here on out, WWE is just going to make his likeness and character a kind of Ronald McDonald. Uh, kind of character to sell a fucking product. And you're not really going to get to see what made him so controversial because honestly, a lot of what Roddy did just didn't age, has not aged well. It certainly wouldn't, His pro, a lot of his promo cutting, a lot of things antics he did in the ring probably wouldn't be allowed today and wouldn't be even covered. So the thing is, um, that's what I meant by that. But also, I wanted, I love Bret Hart. I love Brett the Hitman Hart, and I actually enjoyed that A&E documentary as well. I thought Roddy's was a 5 out of 5. You know, and you got Bret Hart's was not a 4 out of 10, but it's maybe a, maybe about a 3 or 4 out of 5. And then I thought Steve Austin's was a 4 out of 5. So, you know, those were the, those were the, the big ones. Hopefully I get that other Roddy Piper DVD. But speaking of, what's interesting, you brought this up. We weren't even going to talk about this because, honestly, we don't have much to talk about at all this week is that I went 
I went on a physical media spree this last couple of weeks, and I thought, oh, really? and I thought to myself, why don't I own certain things I really fucking love that I keep looking for on all my streaming platforms and either can't find or can find and don't want to pay for them? And I just went fucking nuts and bought every dvd and i chose dvd because i think it's less fucked with than blu-ray versions and the lack of you know stellar blu-ray quality doesn't even really affect me actually because i grew up with vhs and shitty tv reception so the thing is that i just went nuts and bought warrior on dvd which i didn't have i got um bronson on dvd didn't have got the fighter DVD didn't have got the Goldberg collection, three disc collection from a seller. I was like, I've always fucking wanted this. Never had this. Should have this. Got that. Um, just broke down and went fucking nuts. Got Venom. I did get Venom on Blu-ray. So the movie um, with Tom Hardy. The, oh yeah, the shittiest of all the Marvel films was my favorite. Oh, wow. So uh, Sony technically. Well, but. it's Sony, but goddamn, boy, did they do it right? Uh, Venom is the worst movie. Uh, of, of 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 that big feature kind of thing of all the Marvel characters. It's like a B or C film that I don't know why when you watch it, you want to see it again. And it ages somehow well when you watch it yourself. And I don't even know why. Because it's not my infatuation with Tom Hardy. It's not. It's something about the film. It's something about the Venom. The Maybe it's Eminem's music. Maybe it's... I don't know what it is, but I really fucking like that movie a lot. And every person seen it, who's so seen it, uh... every person who's seen it says the same thing. Like, I don't know why I like it. I shouldn't like it, but I do fucking like it. So I finally broke down, got that. I got American Psycho on DVD. I've always Classic. wanted American Psycho on DVD. So, I mean, I just went fucking nuts. And so maybe I'm just not as upset with you because it was like Christmas every day for me in the mail. And that just happened to be a Christmas present that was slightly altered. So I don't know. Slightly altered. <clears throat> Motherfuckers. Uh, anyway... There's there's things to talk about, Jason. Do we have any feedback to go over before we? Uh, first of all, actually, let me let me back up a little bit. Uh, I have not seen Venom. I, are, you are aware the sequel's coming out soon, correct? Yes, I am. And I finally was like, I should own this DVD or Blu-ray before the the new movie comes out because I want to see it like at least eight more times in my home theater before I go see it. Okay. So if any of the dozens have any feedback or thoughts, opinions on any of the movies that Jason just mentioned, Warrior is fantastic. Uh, we did a whole segment on that yeah. back in the day. Uh, where where could they where could they give you their movie reviews, Jason? Well, you can always contact us at our brand new email address known as AskDaveAndJason at ProtonMail.com. Because well, god damn it. Fuck you, R. Kelly. Yep, we will go back to R. Kelly, and there will be a fuck you, Dr. Cosby, in that story as well. Coming up, folks. Coming up. It's good to have things to look forward to. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, so, speaking of feedback, Jason, is there any that you would like to go over before we get into the business of the week? Because we have a two-for-one sale on dumpster fires this week. The, the dumpster has a partition, and it is burning in two different spots, but they do come together in the middle. But we'll, we'll get there. Well, this is going to be good, Dungeon Master. I love when you take us down this road. 
ride. Um, as far as feedback goes, guys, it was just uh, awesome hearing from you. Uh, Kansas City was our number one city in listenership last week. Thank you, Kansas City. Coming in a solid number two was Paris, France. Thank you for listening again, Paris. Uh, we love you, and we don't know why you love us, but thank you very much. Third, of course, we had uh, the wonderful, uh, I believe is Wichita, uh, Kansas, and then we also uh, had Los Angeles, California on our top five, and then I believe we had Plano, Texas uh, up there somewhere too. So thank you oh, wow. very much for listening to us. We appreciate you joining the top five, top six, top 10 club, whatever the fuck it is. But uh, we certainly do appreciate it. But uh, I love how that top three, there's always like a, a, a fight between Paris and Kansas City, Wichita and Los Angeles. There's always those four cities. And also, I have to also mention Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky loves us very much too. And we love you. So thank you for listening. We certainly do appreciate it. Another interesting thing is uh, we did get a little bit of feedback from you guys who listened to us on Spotify and did confirm that you got the two for one special last week because you did think uh, some of them said oh, we just thought that you guys took a break or took a vacation or or nope. something no we we did <laughs> we <it>. got fucked <laughs> i don't know i don't still don't know what happened i don't know uh what what uh, enemy faction kept us from getting getting out there and and also some of us uh were out there selling you know tapes books on tapes to speak mandarin i don't know what the hell happened last week but it did get figured out and we're happy about that but i did want to say this very interesting little tidbit for all you dozens out there and i've already told dave this off the air when we reconnected with spotify and they got us hooked back up and they gave us a lot more insight and have put us on certain uh playlists now and things of this nature thank you very much spotify we also got to learn even more about our demographics on there. And it seems like for if you put all our platforms together, our average listener is a male, about two-thirds is are male in their late 30s, early 40s. And we established that on the Dirty Dozens. I kind of told you that demographic. Interestingly enough, if you just take Spotify on its own... We have more female listeners than males, if you can believe it. About 60-65% of our Spotify listeners are female. And... They're in their late 20s, early 30s that listen to us. And I just thought that was interesting because, I don't know, we never really got that in tune with that specific platform. But we are now, and uh, it just kind of puts a spin on things that is very, very interesting. And uh, once again, we're glad to be in partnership with Spotify. So that's uh, some wonderful feedback there. Does any of that surprise you, Dave? Well, I'm wondering if that tracks or doesn't track with Spotify's general demographics as a whole. Because, uh, you know, obviously, I don't know what their, their typical usage is, but obviously they, you know, they have demographics overall that would skew one way or the other. I mean, I doubt it'd be straight up 50-50, um, even if there's not much variance. And I, I just wonder how those demographics either compare to or differ from everything the, else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that would be kind of my question. There's no really way of answering that, but that was kind of where my, my head went. So yeah, I do, I do find that, that difference interesting. And some of our shows, uh, episodes do better, uh, I believe because of that, uh, that demographic. And, and then, uh, oh, totally. And then lastly, just a little bit of feedback is a couple of you, more than a couple actually reached out and did say, uh, that you did not know about the plane ride from hell, the epic tragedy that we uh, recounted for you last week. Uh, it was a very wrestling-centric, wrestling-heavy episode last week. And for some of you, you really enjoyed that. But uh, a lot of you were like, I had no idea 
this fucking occurred. So, you know, kudos to WWE. They did their, their job very well of keeping it out of probably, you know, mass media and, and the coverage to make sure well, you didn't know about it. But that's, uh, I think we covered it as accurately and as thoroughly as we could. Well, I'll say this too. I'd also say to anyone who hasn't heard that episode that it really isn't a wrestling centric story. It's, it more is in, I mean, it's about a situation that involved a bunch of wrestlers, but I think it really speaks to more the systemic issue in the entertainment industry as a whole, yes. and also just kind of, and also the sports world at, at large, because wrestling kind of straddles the line in both of those both of those fields in regards to you know misogynistic behavior, alcohol abuse, mm -hmm. substance abuse, you know just and the shit that they can fucking get away with because they're famous and have a lot of money, which will tie into what we're talking about in a couple of moments. So I would say it's not just a wrestling topic. It, it definitely ties into greater problems in society and it's just a microcosm of it. So if you haven't heard it, I would say, give it a listen because it might surprise you. Uh, Absolutely. And outrage you and outrage you at the same time. Uh, we don't have enough outrage in this world, Jason. That's our gift to the world. That's our gift is if you're not wound up about something, God damn, we've learned our jobs real well. We'll get you fucking wound up about something. But the thing is that uh, some of you actually did. There was one comment uh, that someone sent us that said, this is just part and parcel. Uh, I am paraphrasing it be of the entertainment world, no matter if it's sports or movies or, 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 or celebrity and singing or, or rap artists that did, you know, shitty music for the Batman uh, trilogy, Joel Schumacher film. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Space Jam. Uh, yeah, Space Jam bullshit. Anyway, it, that it was just inside the entertainment world that, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago, they could do whatever the fuck they wanted and thought they could get away with it. Well, not to sound like Max Cady, but uh, time is the Avenger. Well, I also, and I, I think it's a cliched expression, but I do think there's a lot of truth in it. It is that sunlight is the greatest disinfectant. And we will also talk about that momentarily. So how about we stop delaying it? We just get to the, uh, the meat and potatoes of the week. We have a two for one special on the dumpster fire. Jason, are you ready? I certainly am, sir. Let me let me Michael Buffer that shit. Are you ready? Uh, yes. Okay. The world is a dumpster fire, Jason. I don't know if you fucking knew it. I certainly do. Did you know why? Because it truly fucking is. Indeed. So let's get ready to rumble first. Let's talk about. Our favorite, least favorite R&B singer slash piece of shit human being who should have been jailed and killed in prison years ago. Uh, let's talk about R. Kelly, Jason. Okay, because I was hoping you weren't going to say John Legend. That just would have been an extremely poor taste. Well, it, I mean, it certainly would have been a... <laughs> It certainly would have taken the conversation in a very different direction. Uh, but let's talk about R. Kelly, Jason. Um R. Kelly was convicted. He was found guilty, I believe. He was found guilty on all charges in this particular case. I believe there were like nine of them, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, racketeering being a big one, which I heard a legal expert give very good uh, uh, kind of analysis of this. The racketeering charge allowed them to call like multiple witnesses up to show a systemic thing over the period of years, whereas if it was, if it was just focused on one particular case then you only have one witness and the jury's more likely to 
you know, have, have doubt or, or disbelieve or whatever. So the, the analysis there, which I don't disagree with, is that the prosecution in this particular instance was, was sort of clever in how they, how they pursued this. Um, R. Kelly has been a sexual predator for decades. We as a society have known this for decades. He has been on trial and somehow fucking skipped out decades ago. In 1994, he married a famous 15-year-old. I say famous because it's a lot harder to hide under the table when it's, you know, someone that's in the public eye. He married Aaliyah when she was 15 years old in 1994 because he believed she was pregnant, and if he got married to her, that would allow him as an adult to approve an abortion. (laughs) I don't know if you knew that part of the story. I shouldn't be laughing, but how fucking stupid. Oh, my God. I mean, sick is the word I would use, and that's a semantic argument because I know you're in no way uh, signing off on this. Jesus. I don't know if you knew that part of the story, Jason. I didn't. I, um, knew, I knew that he had married her. I didn't understand the, the, the logic the why. wonderful motivations that he had in his mind for that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if she was, if she was or was not actually pregnant, but my, what I heard today when I looked into it was that he believed that she was, and that was the reason. And then uh, a groupie of his like bribed a public official to, to sign off the, like stage the marriage license or whatever, so that he could approve to get her an abortion if, uh, if that ended up being the case. Um, so we knew back in 1994 that this dude was a steaming pile of shit. Here we are in 2021, and he is finally seeing some sort of reckoning for this. There's a lot to say there. Um, I'm, I'm debating what direction to take this as far as the order with which to discuss things. He was originally, not originally, but he was brought up on child pornography charges because there was a sex tape that he had made with, I believe, a 15-year-old. Um, I could, she might've been 14, 14 or 15, might've even been 13, but I, I, I want to say 15 either way, fucking young. And I believe she even like urinated on her during the video and all this kind of shit. And it's like, he was already a, a celebrity at this point. Like we know what he fucking looks like and he's on videotape and he's like, Oh, it's not me. And he, you know, either through coercion or payoff or something, you know, the, the girl ended up, I believe not testifying that ended up putting like a bullet in the case. He skipped out on that. He's been sued and, and accused of so many awful things uh, since then. What really changed things, and this is both uh, a testament to the power of, as well as an indictment of the media and entertainment industry. What changed everything was the documentary series. I believe it aired originally on Lifetime. Uh, surviving R. Kelly, which resurfaced a lot of these allegations and had people specifically speak to them, people who witnessed them, people who have suffered from them, people who are ongoing suffering from them. And that spoke to the power of documentary as a genre. But it's ridiculous that it took a documentary about things that, you know, were public knowledge for the most part. The specifics, obviously, the devil's in the details. And the specifics of how he would like shove feces into girls' faces to punish them and all kinds of, you know, withhold food and, you know, drug them. And we'll get to that in a moment as well. Like the, I, I think it's, it's, I, I want to give credit to the documentary filmmakers who brought this back into the public eye, but I don't think it should have taken that for him to finally be brought up on goddamn charges. But that's where we are. 
Uh, Jason, what are your initial thoughts on this? And then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about it, and then we'll go into our <clears throat> our second fire in the same dumpster. Well, the thing is, you know, I didn't know exactly where we were going to go with this conversation, other than R. Kelly's a piece of shit. Enough said. Excel. Next week, folks. Just yeah, I know it was, but. <laughs> But the thing is, when you recount it like that, holy shit. But I'll tell you something that you caught my attention on is the power of documentary. Honestly, Dave, it's it's hard for me to not sound like a fucking jaded bastard, but I am. We know you are, Jason. Own that shit. I own it because it's just true. All of I think really all documentaries are. Every single documentary out there, it's just a form of entertainment that you've taken mostly a news narrative, okay? But you've you've made it entertaining. You threw some soundtrack on there. You got the bites you needed. I'm not saying that necessarily a documentary can be misleading at all. Not at it all. Can That's be, not what I'm but saying. This it can, one I don't it certainly it can be. But I'm saying that at the same time, it's what appeals to people. And it's what I talked about two episodes ago is the emotionality of a topic, okay? It's like when I said that most of what we do, 90, 95% of what we do is based on emotion. Even when you think it's logic, it's emotion. Trial lawyers know this very fucking well. Politicians know this. So do documentary filmmakers. So you can take a news event, some kind of news narrative. The news narrative could have been out for years. Fuck, let's just take last week's episode, The Plane Ride from Hell. That information has been public knowledge for what, 20 years, 15 years, whatever the fuck it was. You can see Google Docs have the legal documentation on what went down in the trial. It's very easy to read. The whole thing has been public knowledge forever. Here Vice goes and does a Dark Side of the Ring episode slash documentary on said event. And holy shit. The shit, the holy shit has hit the holy fan. So Can I, really I say something that, on that. Yeah. Um, and because I know you'll, you'll have something to say about this in response, but I, I want to get this in here right at this moment is that also speaks to both in that dark side of the ring episode, as well as the surviving R. Kelly series, which I've read about, but I haven't actually seen as far as the surviving R. Kelly stuff is I haven't seen that specific documentary series. I've seen some of the interviews and stuff, but it speaks to the power of the testimonials of the people who lived through it. On Dark Side of the Ring, it was, I believe, the first time the flight attendant, uh, Heidi Doyle, I believe mm -hmm. was her yeah, name. Yeah. I, I'm horrible on names. Uh, it was the first time she had spoken publicly, I believe, um, about her experience with Ric Flair trying, allegedly trying to force her to touch his penis and, and you know, Scott Hall trying to molest her and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, surviving R. Kelly, likewise, there's stories that, you know, we're not necessarily new in the, in the abstract, but I do think, um, it's a testament to the victims who did come forward and, and shared their trauma and their pain in their stories that then put a face to it, that then put a specifics to it, that then enabled people to empathize in a way that they couldn't necessarily in the abstract. Absolutely. But I mean, you could say that about all of it. You, you could say that yeah. about uh, Filthy Rich. Uh, okay. You can say that about any documentary that's been done, done well. Filthy Rich is the Epstein one. Is that right? the Epstein one. Yeah. Okay. You can, because what it is, is it's not, you're not seeing testimonials by people like, okay. So like Simone Biles just went up to Congress with the, with the, the old school badass 
championship winning uh, gymnastics team. Okay, female gymnastics team. And they, they went up about Nasser and said, you know, basically say, piece of shit. He's been molesting us for years. No one did shit. The FBI didn't do shit. That's powerful. That is powerful fucking testimony. And the day of or the week of that that happened, everyone was like, God damn, they have some courage. And we, what the fuck happened with the FBI? And it's needed. Okay. Now, I'm thinking as a filmmaker, let's get these four girls together. Let's make a documentary, put some soundtrack on it, have it on Netflix where it can be streaming. And I guarantee it'd go to the number one, be the top top fucking documentary because it's a it's a form of forgive me because i'm not belittling what we're talking about here but i am trying to i'm highlighting as a someone that knows about entertainment it's show business when you make it show businessy is when people pay attention and it and you're right it shouldn't take a fucking documentary to stand up for victims or their public testimonies to finally make a goddamn difference but it does the whole uh making a murder making the murder whatever the fuck that thing is i never watched it but all of a sudden everyone's standing up trying to save this dude they profiled and blah blah fuckity blah and it it, maybe he did need some representation but it just goes to show the power of fucking a, a part of show business and it is show business that is the documentary the documentary and the, and the failings of the legal system. Yeah, it shouldn't take it shouldn't a documentary take to get the legal system but, to fucking move. Right. But what did I say in, a couple of weeks ago is when you put emotionality to it, when it's when it responds to the emotional side of 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 the I guess everybody is when they're like, we should do something. Well, yeah, motherfuckers, we should have done it 15 years ago. We should have done it back in the nineties, but it took a God, let's get a score. Let's get a soundtrack. Hey, get the makeup people. Is that a good background? Are we making it like you shouldn't need show business to fucking move the needle on justice, but that's where we are. That's the first thing. Number two, I think R. Kelly should have gone to prison back in the 90s. Honestly, yeah. after he recorded... And never gotten out. No, but it was after he recorded Gotham City for that shitty Batman soundtrack. That just... Have you ever listened to that song? He's talking yes. about what a great fucking city Gotham City is and everyone needs a Gotham City. Has he ever read a Batman comic book? Fuck you, R. Kelly. Fuck you and your asshole. Uh, he can rot in jail for all I care. But as far as I'm concerned... You know, there are people out there, I, I guess, that that are still standing behind R. Kelly. And maybe we'll get to that pretty soon. You read my mind, Jason. If anyone, who could possibly be heel enough in their real life to possibly be defending the indefensible to such a degree? Jason, would such a man possibly exist? If they, if they do exist, he's probably has a doctorate in rapeology. Yeah, Bill Cosby's defending R. Kelly publicly, saying he's a, a prod he's been set up, he's a product of a racist justice system. He's been railroaded. He's been railroaded. Um, if only he was in front of an actual railroad as the train was going by. Um, well, we're getting t- we're getting dark now. Hey, what was that train that just derailed up there north? You know, why couldn't he have oh, been shit. in front of it? God damn! Yeah, Jesus. lay across the tracks. One That'd day be... closer to dead for real, man. Um, 
The thing is, is the enraging thing about that is because there's undeniably racism in the justice system, and that is a very legitimate topic that is being bastardized in the worst possible fucking way. Because what's interesting is two two kind of side notes that just entered my head, Jason. One of them is what we've been talking about kind of is in regards to documentary filmmaking or that type of narrative being needed sometimes in order to galvanize the public to force law enforcement into a position where they have to act. It's, it's trauma meeting commercialism. And that's a really fine wire to walk sometimes because it can, it, it's, it's very easy to slip over into the realm of exploitation. Um, and again, I haven't seen the surviving R. Kelly documentary. So, you know, I, I, I don't have a, a say on, on the tone of that. Um, you know, obviously it was powerful enough to where it, it got something done. Um, you know, there've been others in the past that I think have been more, you know, exploitive in their intent and in their, you know, not about R. Kelly specifically, but just documentaries in general. You know, you have the sleaze out there that just try to to capitalize and and profit off of other people's misery. Um, so that's always the, that's always the battle. That's always kind of the the fine line there. And with with Cosby, ironic, like it was it was a documentary from I think it was Lifetime that aired it that got R. Kelly back in hot water. And it was a stand-up comedian doing a bit that he had done for years that just happened to make its way to YouTube talking about how Bill Cosby's a rapist and maybe he should stop bitching about how people curse or wear their pants that yeah, all of it, a sudden was, caused all these stories to come out. It was re- it was recorded on a phone, the stand-up yeah. bit from the audience, and he was saying, you know, he was... Bill Cosby uh, was always talking down to the black community about being better and pull up your pants and stop cussing. But, you know, he'll start listening to him when he stops raping women. So it was, and that's, boom, where it became topical again. People are like, whoa, 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 what's that comedian talking about there? And then, boom, it's all this shit started again. And it's just amazing. But, of course, you know, Dr. Cosby, our, our favorite, fuck you, Dr. Cosby, that's all I can think of right now, is um, defending... You know, R. Kelly, including the, you know, I guess his Gotham City song and just about he's been railroaded, which uh, that bothers me a lot because it's a connotation. When you say someone's been railroaded many times, it's in a connotation that someone of color, uh, the justice system has been stacked against them because of their color. And uh, Bill Cosby was also saying this about himself. His defendants were saying this and, you know, talking about racism, racism, racist, racist, racism. Okay, here's the deal. That exists. It's highly prevalent in our justice system. Fucking highly prevalent. So you shouldn't be pulling that out to defend yourself when this has nothing to do with what you did criminally or how you got off on a fucking legal technicality. Okay. Well, can and I you comment real quickly that. on that? Yeah. Um, there's also the, the big issue as well is like, yes, there's racism in the criminal justice system. We're not, uh, you know, blowing your mind with that information. However, I do think that takes a back seat to another problem in the justice system. And that is, the uh, curried favor that it holds with both wealthy people and celebrities. And R. Kelly is both. Absolutely. And, and Bill Cosby is both. And that is how they were able to get away with their crimes for fucking decades without any type of repercussion. Yes, they are black men that if they were not rich and wealthy, 
well, rich and wealthy, same thing. If they were not wealthy and celebrities uh, and were trying to do these same types of things, they would have probably, you know, been in jail and had the key thrown away, like inside of the first year of activity. Um, but because they are wealthy and well-known, they have an entire industry protecting <clears throat> them, an entire entourage protecting yeah. them, um, you know, and also with payoffs and all kinds of stuff that that I think supersedes the racism that they otherwise might've legitimately faced in prosecution. Uh, but they both very legitimately should have been prosecuted a lot sooner than what they were. Uh -huh. And while Cosby is out, you know, R Kelly, he's looking at life just on what he currently has, but he's also got two more cases, uh, upcoming. Yeah. And, you know, throw all that together, the odds are that motherfucker will never see the light of day again. And I hope he doesn't. Yeah. Well, I hope he doesn't because he went scot-free for decades and allowed him to traumatize and rape and assault and abuse and just torture yeah. without hyperbole, torture countless other young people, mostly women, but apparently in some cases also men as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the lawyer, I believe is uh, Gloria Allred. I guess yes. who is the the one who is you know representing and defending uh, the victims of the R Kelly uh, case, but and she also did against Bill Cosby. So she she's really yeah that brought Cosby had a bone to pick. Yeah, Cosby had a bone to pick. I mean, he was uh, you know basically saying you know it was just racism led by Gloria, blah blah blah, and uh, that couldn't be further from the fucking truth. You know, you're a piece of shit. Just admit it, and it is what it is. And you know they're playing the game. And R. Kelly really you know racked up a few notches when he was also you know jury tampering and threatening witnesses and just all his other little bullshit that he was he was pulling. So I mean. There's not much more to say that we haven't said other than, you know, fuck you, R. Kelly, and fuck you, Dr. Cosby, and welcome back to the show. I, it's amazing you're making it back into our uh, conversation again. Well, this is another reason why I highly encourage the dozens, with it, with whatever feedback you send us, regardless if it's about movies, pop culture, wrestling, doesn't saying hello, saying we suck, whatever it is. No matter what, I highly encourage you to finish said correspondence, said email, with the terminology... Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. And uh, that still holds holds true. And if you haven't seen it, and Jason, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, when, um, be, I think it was before the trial had started. It was sometime, I believe, last year. R. Kelly sat down for an interview. I think it was on, like, CBS or something with, uh, I believe it was Gail King. And she asked him point blank, like, have you had sex with underage girls? I think that was the question. It was something to that effect. And he threw an absolute screaming tantrum, stood up and was yelling about how he's being persecuted. Like, as opposed to just saying no, <laughs> he, you know, he threw a, a screaming tantrum, uh, at this woman. And, uh, if you haven't seen it, if you want to see just what a self-entitled righteous asshole this fucker is in, in public, let alone in his private life, Jesus, uh, you know, you can find clips of that on YouTube. So fuck you, R. Kelly. I hope you never see the light of day, you piece of shit. Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. Uh, you should still be in jail. And um, anything else to say before we move on to our twofer for the dumpster fire, Jason? Because it also has to do with media coverage of another uh, topical story yeah. currently ongoing today. No, I think it's, it's time to move on. All right. There's a... I first was going to say it's a kidnapping. It's not a kidnapping. There's a murder case that I suspected murder case that um, has galvanized public attention as well. 
And I think justifiably so, but I also think there's justifiably questions about why other similar cases have not galvanized the public in, in similar fashion. And I think there's a right and a wrong, for lack of better terminology, I don't like speaking in absolutes, but right and wrong way of, of discussing that topic. So long story short, let's give the, the background. There is a lady uh, in her 20s, I believe, Jason, um, who was on a cross-country trip with her fiancé, went missing, uh, believed to have been murdered, uh, probably by her fiancé, who returned back to their hometown without her, suspiciously, and she had not been seen since. There was some text message or something that her family had gotten a couple days earlier that they suspect was not sent from her, but was sent from him using her phone. There's now a manhunt for him. He was kind of protected by his parents when he showed up back in town, gathered a couple things and took off. It's, I think, at this point unknown whether he might have actually committed suicide or if he's out on the lam somewhere. So they're they're still doing an ongoing search for that. Her name is uh, Gabby Petita? Potato? Petito, I think. Petito. Thank yeah. you. Okay, I knew I didn't have that quite right. I said, I'm shit on names, folks. I'm trying. I've, I probably got brain damage. Anyway, uh, so... This is a case that has really caught public attention. And I don't, and it, you know, it speaks to domestic abuse. There was um, a case where the police were called to their location, I think a couple days prior to her going missing, where it appeared to be some sort of domestic abuse situation, and there's video of it. And, you know, there's, there's a lot there. And I haven't specifically followed this case. So that's why I'm a little hazy on the details, but I'm aware of the, the generalities of it. Okay. Um, now people have correctly, I think, been asking, well, you know, women of color have gone missing. There's been many other cases very similar to this, um, that have been, you know, featured or involving the minority communities that have not galvanized the public in such a fashion. And why is this? I think that's a fair question to ask. I think that's a fair question to ask without shaming the people that have taken an interest in this case. And that's where I said I think there's a right and a wrong way of approaching it. I don't think it's right to be like, you know, to people that are sharing Gabby's case on social media or have really taken a following to it. Because I've seen a lot of that myself from people that I know that have been like, oh, my God, this is like breaking my heart. And, and it's very genuine, you know. I don't think it's right to shame them like, well, then why haven't you cared about so-and-so and so-and-so and all these other cases that have that have involved, you know, women of color that have gone missing or have been abused or whatever. No, I don't think that's I don't think that's the way to approach that. What I do think is fair is to say that these subjects are not treated equally from a media standpoint. So therefore, you frequently don't have that emotional narrative that like you'll see in, you know, the R. Kelly case with that documentary or, you know, with the current news stories about Gabby and her disappearance and the, the search for the fiance. Um, a lot of times the media, the mainstream media doesn't give that type of coverage to victims of color or victims from, you know, minority communities. Um, and therefore that emotional narrative doesn't have a chance to capture the public imagination. Um, so I don't think it's fair to shame the people that have taken an interest in this case, but I do think it's fair to ask why is the coverage not equal to other victims that have been through similar trauma and are still missing as we speak. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those things where it was brought up because you couldn't get away from the story because media was... Well, the dozens asked us to talk about it. Am I correct? Yeah, they did. And we weren't really going to... I mean, I had no... Uh, I wasn't going to talk about it at all, not because it wasn't a tragic story, but it just, you know, there were other dumpster fires that uh, caught our attention. Fuck you, R. Kelly. Um, but the, the interesting part about all this is, is that there is that side thing where, first of all, what do you think about 
the Gabby Petito situation and her, her, uh, I think her boyfriend's name is Brian Landry, something. Brian Landry or Laundry. And it was her fiance. They were supposed to be married. And I, I totally believe in my personal opinion, I believe the evidence is indicating Jason that he murdered her and either killed himself or possibly more likely is, you know, on the run somewhere. Well, you know what? We're not going to have to really worry much longer about answers because I understand that Dog the Bounty Hunter is taking up the case. So we're, we're going to get... Fuck it! If he can find him, let him do it. We're, we're going we're gonna to definitely find some answers. Get out there, Dog. Uh, hunt down your man. But the, the thing is that I, I, what was the interesting part of it that was asked or brought up was the coverage that a white woman who goes missing, kidnapped, murdered, gets in our media and the attention of society versus any other you know race or gender. Because if you look at it just by the statistics on the books, more men go missing than women and more people of color go missing and murdered and kidnapped than, than white women, than whites, okay? So at any rate, uh, it was brought up to this guy, and goddamn, I didn't even know we were going to talk about this, so I'm not well prepared on the research of names. But there's um, that guy on one of the investigation programs has that great fucking mysterious voice. Who's like, and they didn't know where they were going until they got there, and that kind of the guy. And um, he was put on the spot about the Gabby Petito thing, and somebody asked him, "So why do you think white women who?" get kidnapped, murdered, go missing, get our attention and no other race like black women don't get this, you know, black men don't get this, you know, white men don't get this. So what's going on with the uh, snow white women that go missing and it's wall to wall coverage. And he was sort of put on the fucking spot because he's more, he's an investigative journalist, but he's really like, a, it's fucking entertainment folks. Okay. When you're watching this cold case and, 24 hours, wherever the fuck all these mystery real life crime fucking things are. It's, it's just show business folks. They're not really trying to solve goddamn anything. And sometimes um, they are, yeah, but there's well, also the added business. benefit of selling commercial. Time. It's fucking show business. So anyway, he, he's, he was put on the spot and he was like, well, I, he didn't want to say what I'm getting ready to say, but he said, I think it's just the, you know, um, little red riding hood trope that, you know, news, coverage likes to get to honestly folks i think it comes down to this in our society whether people want to admit it or not and certainly in media coverage and how they want to the their buyers the people that buy fucking detergent and their demographic white women are of a higher priority than black women than blacks period so a white woman is looked at as a lot more of this coveted thing and certainly covered in coveted in media attention than if a black woman goes missing the lot of people said if it was a black couple that went out and they were camping and blah blah, blah wouldn't even have made the fucking local news probably maybe but it certainly wouldn't get this wall-to-wall cbs abc nbc national coverage bullshit that's happened i'm not saying it wasn't warranted i'm just saying like it is kind of fucking odd because if it was anything else if it was you know a native american man you wouldn't have heard shit wouldn't have heard shit if it was a Mexican transsexual. Wouldn't have heard shit. But if it's a white woman, a young white woman, oh, all the promise, all the promise that was there, the potential. Look how gorgeous and beautiful she was. She might have been a model. She might have been on Dancing with Stars one day. 
It could have been anything, but I'm telling you, and I know I come off as callous when I'm saying it. I know Dave is probably going to scold me when he gets back on the mic here, but it is true. I think in our culture, we glorify white women when it comes to news coverage. And when something bad happens to a young white image, woman. And, and the image of victimhood. Yes. Is that it makes for a goddamn good story. It makes for a great story where if it's a minority, if it's a man, if it, they just, that's who cares. It's, it's not looked at in any way of selling information, selling news information. And I mean, selling with dollar fucking symbols there instead of the S's. So, I mean, I just, honestly, I, I'm just going to say it like it is in our culture, particularly our social media, our news coverage, our mass media, white women are valued more than black women. It's not right. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that's why you're seeing this. You can't fix a problem until you acknowledge no. what the problem so, is. And neither and, one of us is saying that this Gabby case should not no, be getting this type of attention no. at all. But We're saying that other cases should be getting equal attention. Yes, and but what's interesting is when you put this motherfucker on the spot who does this for a living day in and day out, he damn well knows the answer is what I just fucking gave. But what he had to say... So he didn't come off as some, I don't know, racist dick or some part of the evil media empire is that, well, it's a story and it, it it's back to, you know, maybe some, some kind of Joseph Campbell, but get the fuck out of here. It's because we as a society value young, blonde, blue eyes, fucking young girl who goes missing. God damn, that's a story. That'll sell some fucking ads there. And we would not get it with any other race or gender. And also, Jason, how different would this news coverage be if uh, Brian Landry or Landry, if her fiance, who is a white man, but if he was black, how different would this news coverage be? Oh, because Christ. I guarantee you it would have a we would know every transgression that dude had ever committed in his life. We would know you know, what his family life had been like, and we would know if he cheated on his fifth grade science test. I guarantee you. I know you. nothing about this dude just as a casual, you know, I said, I haven't followed the case. I know that there was that issue with the, the domestic disturbance several days prior. And I know that he showed up and she wasn't there and that he's, it's believed that it was an abusive relationship. But like, I couldn't tell you anything else about this dude. If, if he was a black man, I bet you, I would know everything he had ever done that was wrong. Oh, absolutely. Not only would Dog the Bounty Hunter be going after him, so would the KKK and Boba Fett. Every motherfucker would be after this guy. So, I mean, the thing is, it's a, it's a different deal, but it is hysterical in a very sad, disgusting, shitty, pragmatic, realistic way that when you look at it for what it is, people have finally just put... I mean, it's not that we're making light of the tragedy. It is a fucking horrible tragedy. No. But it no, is, I hope it they find does, him and I feel horrible for her. Me it's, too. It has nothing to do... I feel horrible for the families, both of them, honestly. Yeah. Unless Brian Landry's family is helping him. Him, which some people well, say it's, they are. it sounded like they were helping him, yeah, so yeah. I don't feel bad for. I don't really feel bad for his immediate family in that regard, yeah. but I feel terrible for hers. Yeah. But what I, what I'm trying to say is, it finally publicly there is some discourse about Jesus fucking Christ. Okay, we get it. Another young white woman has been 
erased from the planet. Can we talk about all the young black women who are being erased from this planet that never get any fucking coverage? And I just think that was interesting. And honestly, it's from you guys. It's from the dozens brought it up. And we weren't even going to, this was not what we were going to cover, but it came up today. We actually got a request for that. So thank you very much. Which is also why, I mean, if, if I were listening, my, one of my questions would be like, well, if this is your stance, why aren't you naming some of the you know current women that are missing or whatever? It's because Jason and I had not intended this to be nope. a subject. So it was a late add to the, the show. So therefore, we're discussing it in general. No, I don't have specific examples because I'm horrible on remembering people's names. But, um, you know, again, our, our criticism is not to the people that care so much about this story. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I agree with that. It's it's just the fact that the outrage from a mass media standpoint, not from the individual, from a mass media standpoint, is very selective. And and that is, I think, a problem that needs to be acknowledged so that it can be changed and it can be stamped out. Uh, Jason, if the dozens have any feedback on any of this, where can they send it to us and what should they end that feedback with? You can contact us once again at this beautiful, well-working, never-crashing email known as AskDaveAndJason at ProtonMail.com Because, well, goddammit, Protons! You so disappointed me. I was really waiting for that fuck you, Dr. Cosby, with a little bit of extra venom in it, and you, you let me down. I Get used to the, it, son. The cockles of my heart are, are sad. Jason, man, I'm telling fuck you, you, Dr. Cosby, I'll and do it. Fuck you, Arkad. I'll tell you something. When Commander Cody pulled out that protons, I was like, it was funny. It makes yeah. no sense. And I love every single minute of it. So absolutely. Uh, instead of childhood is dead, Jason, I thought we might do something a little different this week. Okay. It's an, I think it's something we could revisit once in a while. Sure. Pet peeves. I have them. You have them. The dozens have them. I thought it'd be nice. A little bit of catharsis. Mm-hmm. For us to both pick one of our pet peeves, let it off of our chest so the dozens could enjoy and possibly agree or disagree, though if they disagree, they're wrong. Uh, so, Jason, would you like me to go first or you to go first on our pet peeve of the week? Go ahead. Does it involve having the incorrect DVD inside a case that you've ordered? No, but God damn it, it should. Uh, the one that I want to go with today are... Uh, Shaky cam in action films. Can we stop fucking doing this? I am a huge fan of action films. I love fight scenes in movies. And what is the point of teaching Matt Damon Kali if you can't see him fucking doing it because you have the camera in a goddamn washing machine? I, well, that was one of my big, uh, one of many uh, criticisms of the current film Snake Eyes that is, I believe, still in theaters. Um, is they have a great cast. You know, they had a great cast and they, they had possibly some good fight scenes in it, but like you had like Iko Uwais, I'm sorry if I mispronounced his name from the raid, uh, you know, in a, in a scene, in a, you know, a couple of fight scenes and the dude is amazing. And all you have to do is just put the camera back and let us see what he does. And instead they're quick cutting and shaking the camera. Let's make the, the audience feel like they're part of the action. No, it's lazy. It's shitty. We can't see anything. Stop fucking doing it. I fucking hate action films that have fight scenes where they shake the camera all over the place and cut it 50,000 goddamn times a second. Jason, this drives me goddamn nuts. What do you think? Well, I I love because 
you know, we don't discuss a lot of the fucking show beforehand, folks. No. And so I love hearing this stuff firsthand on air. Let me tell you something, dude. This could be a whole goddamn segment. I can't fucking stand it. And as a matter of fact, when when I was, you know, I don't know how it was when you were directing your films, but when I was directing my films, there is nothing in my opinion, but of course I'm always right, better than choosing your shots, framing your shots, and knowing where your camera is going to move and how you're fucking moving it. I like it so much. It looks so much more professional to me. And the film that I'm watching or the TV show or the documentary or whatever other form of entertainment I'm watching visually looks so fucking good when the camera is framed correctly, it's stable, and it's showing me what I need to see. I fucking love it. Also, something else you, you touched on is the uber amounts of cuts. There was, when I was growing up, this kind of unwritten rule, but when you when I first got into film and started kind of piecing my own shit together in the 90s and then later on the early 2000s, there was sort of this... Un- the 90s when R. Kelly was sexually assaulting Aaliyah. Just throwing that out Absolutely. there as far as how long ago that was. Yeah, and, and the thing is that uh, there was this unwritten rule in editing where you wanted to stay on your shots, you know, basically what you were showing on camera without cutting to a different angle or a different viewpoint, whatever I'm trying to talk layman style to, to everybody out there. Uh, you wanted to keep it on for two seconds, two full seconds, because they, they pretty much could verify that you understood what you were watching from that point of view. And if you had it any less than that, and by the second, by the, by the way, two seconds when you're watching it visually is some time. I know it doesn't sound like it is, but it is. And you don't realize that what happened over the years, the study came, came the study cam came into vogue, okay? And then the the editing became I think because of the visual style of video games, uh possibly music videos, I'm not sure, but the, music videos for sure, yeah. But the 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 cutting just became un fucking believable to where I'll watch stuff from a technical viewpoint. They'll hit a shot and I'll go 1001, 1002. And it has already pretty much at the first of that it's cut. We're talking basically half a second in cuts now. And on top of it, taking a camera, putting it on a, a, you know, a director of photography's shoulder and having him run around with a red, uh, you know, camera, handheld camera, whatever the fuck you want to call it, and just walk around people, to me, is lazy directing. It's lazy director of photography. It's lazy, 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 lazy. And at a certain point in time, like when Rocky was being filmed and it was a brand new goddamn thing, or you were, I don't know, maybe watching Hill Street Blues or whatever the fuck started this whole goddamn thing on network television, it was like, oh, I'm really there. And it seems gritty. And, oh, wow, now, whole fucking films. I don't even know if they have a goddamn storyboard. They just walk in, blah, 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 film it all, film it all, give it to the editor, good luck. And then he edits a bunch of shit together. But I'm telling you, Dave, as far as a pet peeve, bro, I got you, man. I got you. I feel that all day because that's a lost fucking art. And a lot of my favorite motion pictures that you'll hear me talk about, there ain't none of that goddamn uh camera running around with it on your shoulder and then cutting it every fucking half second going on. They're classic films. They still hold up today. And it looks like you're watching something epic and professional. 
Well, we talked about Warrior, and you know, Warrior had some great fights in it because mm-hmm. it basically it is a fight film, and you could actually you can see what's happening, like you can understand the story of the fight and who is doing what to who and why it matters. And um, it just it drives me nuts when a, a movie is considered an action film, meaning the action is really the driving incentive as to why people will go see it. And then when you go there, you can't see anything. And I just, I don't understand how that became a directing style. But um, sometimes, I will say sometimes it can be unavoidable. Like there is a a Marvel show where it was rumored, I don't know if it's true, but where it was rumored the lead actor was kind of difficult or didn't want to do fight rehearsals and stuff. So then they were trying to quick edit in order to basically cover up his deficiencies. Like there's times where you have to kind of, you know, make concessions in order to work with whatever it is that you got. But as a purposeful creative choice like fuck that so what is what is your uh pet peeve of the week jason my pet peeve and i didn't even know until i think i don't know if it was last night or today that we were even going to bring this up but i've been talking about it for a while just not on the air with the dozens not with you guys i absolutely am out of my goddamn vanilla godzilla mind with the term the word literally i cannot fucking stand it are you literally out of your mind with that word i am telling you for a fact that for whatever reason in our culture american society and i want all of you out there to pay attention to this the old school well um kind of that people would insert in their sentences to talk to you has all been replaced with the word literally it has been fucking replaced I don't know how this happened, but talk to somebody one day. Just talk to a coworker, talk to a family member, talk to a friend. And now I want you to start highlighting in your head how many fucking times someone says the word literally. It has gotten so bad that I've told people, please take that sentence, please take that word out of your sentence and see if it changed anything. It doesn't. You could ch- you could take that word out and put very clearly, truly, but literally is now being literally used for literally everything, literally all the time. I literally looked at her and she literally brought me the pen and then literally I went there and then literally I set that down and literally, do you understand what I'm literally trying to literally say? And I'm like, oh my fucking God, it's everywhere. It's fucking everywhere. It got so bad that I have looked this shit up as how this goddamn happened to where literally has become the main fucking word in our everyday goddamn vocabulary. So it's get replaced, this. It's, it's replaced like, because like used to be, you know, it was yes, like, that's uh, what I meant. like that. Yeah. Okay. When, when, when at, I was saying like, we used to say like, or, um, which was annoying in its own right. Something but. or, uh, but now it is fucking literally. Okay. So, the meaning of literal means exactly what is said, written, or meant. The literal meaning of something. Okay? All right. Literally has now been used so fucking conversationally in our day-to-day lives here in the United States of free enterprise. I don't know if it's seeped out into other English-speaking cultures, but here in the States, this is what I think that's got to be an American phenomenon, okay. but that's just my suspicion. Okay. They've had to start to change it, I think, on online dictionary type stuff to say informal. There is now an informal meaning of the word literally. It is now defined as used for emphasis to express strong feelings while not literally 
true. Oh my God. So the thing is, if I have a pet peeve, holy shit, do I have a pet peeve. People around me in my day-to-day life know not to even put it in their fucking sentence. Not to even fucking say it because I'm like, that is so goddamn lazy. Learn to speak. Get this fucking word out of your vocabulary. And if you do use the word literally, use it fucking correctly. It shouldn't be just used as literally I went to the microwave and literally it's disgusting. And literally I need to clean that out because literally it's bad. Do you understand literally what I literally mean? What the fuck? What the fuck? I want to tear people's goddamn tongues out. So anyway... That's my uh, that's my take on my pet peeve. And it's interesting because I had no fucking clue we were even going to discuss this. And I went, well, holy shit, do I have fucking something to talk about? Does Do you find your rankles getting, getting risen when someone uses the word in its actual correct usage? Like, for example, if someone said he literally had a fever of 104, what do you kind of find yourself sort of like? You know, rankling against that a little bit just out of habit or no? No. What I want to do is fucking give this human being a goddamn cookie and say, (laughs) you have won a prize today, sir, because you use that word correctly. I'm it. That's not it. It's not like the hearing. I was just curious. No, the hearing of the phonetics of the word aren't fucking with me. But and it's not that I walk around. Like that in the movie Professor and Mad Men, like looking at every word and are you saying it correct? I'm not like one of those people. I never have been. I love vocabulary. I love words. I love conversation. But it is extremely fucking lazy. And I don't think it was chosen. I think this word somehow crept into our day-to-day lives here in the United States of free enterprise. And now it is just a fucking word that is in every sentence and what i also want the dozens out there to do not only listen to the people you're talking to listen to yourselves because if you truly clearly honestly listen to yourself speak you will see this has somehow crept into your fucking vocabulary the word literally and you're using it well it used to be incorrectly now so many of you motherfuckers are using it informally that they've had to accept it fuck all y'all anyway i just want to throw that out there is a great segment it's amazing thank you very much because i had to get that shit off my chest jason have you ever seen on youtube grammar slam with cm punk I have not, but I've heard about it. I've heard that he schools people on like, you're not saying any of this correctly. Kind of he thing. picks a particular grammar subject. In this case, there was one uh, regarding the words, the words literally and figuratively. And um, he reads note like fan notes that he has gotten and then will highlight these grammar incorrectness and then go total like wrestling promo on how fucking stupid they are for misusing the word. Like I know there was one where he was reading a, like a fan letter or something talking about like his, how punk, you know, is in a rivalry with John Cena. He was like, you know, I don't know how you don't like John Cena. He's literally on fire right now. And punk's like, Oh, he's literally on fire. Maybe you should fucking call nine one one to have him put out. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's amusing. No, I it is. That, I, I'll, it I'll have it's to very cathartic that because that's what I felt like right now. I was cutting a promo on people. Cause I'm like, I can't, I honestly cannot take this anymore. Speaking of CM Punk, he made his in-ring on television return this past week mm-hmm. at uh, AEW Rampage. Uh, well, the, it was Dynamite and Rampage. Uh, the, what was the Grand Slam? Uh, for some reason, I blanked on that for a second. So yeah. it was AEW Rampage Grand Slam. 
<coughs> I have not seen the match yet with Powerhouse Hobbs, but um, we touched on this briefly the other day where, you know, Daniel Bryan and uh, Kenny Omega apparently had an absolute, by all accounts, like classic match um, at AEW Grand Slam Dynamite. Uh, cause it was, they did the, they did a full event at Arthur Ashe stadium in New York for people who don't know it aired live on their dynamite show. And then when it went off the air, they fit, they immediately went into taping their Friday night rampage show. So it's the same crowd and it's the same show, but it got split up to two different programs. Mm-hmm. One of them was live and one of them was pre-taped to clarify. So that's not confusing, hopefully. And they sold out. A big building in New York, man. That's something that WCW never even really did in the late 90s mm-hmm. when they were at their their apex. Like, that has been WWE territory since WWE was the WWWF. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they did that kind of business in New York and that Punk was there and Brian were there leading the... Mm-hmm. Or Danielson were there leading the, leading the charge, so to speak, I... Damn, man, I think that's a hell of an accomplishment, and that's been the apex of this company thus far. Absolutely, it has. Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about it because uh, our little Cracker Jack prize here at the end, we get a little bit of time to talk some wrestling, and goddamn, AEW, well, it's it's amazing. I actually saw the match uh, with CM Punk versus Powerhouse Hobbs, and... I could tell you that it certainly was not the match that, you know, uh, Brian Danielson had against Kenny Omega. That, uh, that was a, uh, unbelievable Insta classic showcasing what both of them can do. And it was amazing, but of course it wasn't meant to be. Yeah. These, these men have been, you know, uh, doing good shit for years where CM Punk has had seven years off. Uh, and so seeing him do his first TV match in seven years, there was, he's awesome. And he's uh, the audience. He had him in the, and he had all of them in the palm of his hand and absolutely orchestrated correctly. It was a little rusty on his part and you could tell where he definitely needs to get some of that ring rust out. Um, I think it was a little slower paced. It was okay. It did what it needed to do. Uh, the crowd didn't give a shit. They would have watched him read a telephone book. So it was good. Um, you know, I think that he also did good in, in helping not make powerhouse Hobbs look like a, a fucking weakling. He took a lot of power spots against him, which kept his character fairly strong. Um, I did have, you know, a little bit of concern about the commentary that was happening during it. I didn't think it was good commentary. And like I said, didn't they have like four people in the booth? Why do you need four people in the commentary booth? And it just wasn't clicking because some of them are heel commentators that are, you know, in a stable with, with Hobbs. And it just didn't, it played very poorly. It wasn't like, you know, how you would have, let's say, uh, Bobby Heenan back in the day commentating on somebody in his stable. It just came off. Eh, icky bad and at the same time combined with cm punk's ring rust which i know will you know he'll get the lead out of his ass eventually when he does this you know every single week um i think that it was not as good as i would have liked it but it certainly did the job it was supposed to do also cm punk's uh promos he's coming out is still very much i love you guys i love being back i love this atmosphere i can't wait to do this this is great and 
love CM Punk. I fucking love this man. I think we all know this. I've had enough of those promos. I think it's time to get busy and start really cutting some promos where you're in character and, and, and getting on with it, which he's done a little bit of, but certainly not to the extent he used to. So looking forward to that. Uh, also in the, in this whole, uh, New York crowd, like I said, the, uh, Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega, please, 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 please go watch that fucking match. It is amazing. It's one of the best matches I've seen in years. And of course, Brian Danielson to me is like almost like a, a Bret Hart fixture in my head. He's just like, a, a um, an excellence of execution and everything he does in the ring is just fucking solid work and love him, love what he's doing. And, uh, so that happened. And I also just want to throw out for whatever reason, I don't know why I want to throw this out, but it just tickles me. I love, uh, what, who used to be known as Rusev. Miro, yeah, Miro in AEW. I fucking love him and I love his character and I love what he's doing. Uh, there was this little spot where he actually, uh, start, Sammy, uh, Guevara came Guevara. out, Guevara came out with, uh, Fuego and, uh, Miro just beat the shit out of them when they were doing that fucking cue cards bit where he's like, you know, the Spanish God is here and blah, 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 threw him all around. And this is where Taz did do good on the fucking microphone because I think it was Taz and then he had um, Starks with him and they were laughing their fucking ass off at the abuse that Miro was handing out. <laughs> that worked great because the inner like high school bully in me is like, this is fucking awesome. And I mean, I don't know if you ever saw any of this back in the day, either Dave or I'm talking to the dozens, but Insane Clown Posse used to have this fucking bizarre wrestling league, the ICP they still, league. They still would run events yes. up until now. One of them has like a heart condition or something. I forget it, it. They, all it was, was just shenanigans, fucking shenanigans. And the, and the insane cloud posse would be the commentators and they would just be high drunk and laughing at all the abuse and violence to where they could barely even do the commentary. And that was the best part of the fucking show. So when Miro is going crazy, throwing fuego through a fucking table and beating the shit out of people, throwing, whatever he calls the that what is basically the cobra clutch or the i'm sorry the camel clutch on this poor bastard they're laughing their asses off and you're just crying at the commentary of these two bullies and this time it worked because you could tell they really thought this was fucking funny so i mean i have to give credit to to the spots and the storylines that aew is doing it's just all coming off fantastic and the whole uh grand slam in new york events that they did and their whole presence up there in New York city really speaks to the power and the caliber of the company that they can compete in, in what is absolutely WWE fucking McMahon territory and pull off that event. The entrances look fantastic. Their entrances are better than fucking Raw's entrances. Their, their promo time, everything about it is good. Like I said, guys, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. If you love pro wrestling through us or you just want to get back into it, now's the time. And the easiest, cheapest way to do it is YouTube. Uh, their AEW official channel will give you a lot of the highlights, even if you don't want to watch, you know, from bell to bell, from, from, you know, pillar to post, from the start to the end. Good stuff. So AEW, the New York presence, the Grand Slam, you did fucking amazing. Sting even had a match. Yeah. And he looked great at 62 years old. It was he and Darby Allen uh -huh. against uh, FDR. I saw that one and like, goddamn, they made him look like a million dollars. And Sting, you know, <clears throat> carried as much weight as he could on his end of it. Like, you know, I mean, goddamn, for a 62 year old man, that 
fucker superhuman. Yeah, they spotlighted him really good, and it was it, they and they work well together, Darby Allen and him. And and I it's saw a that great too. pairing. Yeah. It's a great pairing. I thought that and, um, you saw some limitations on his point, but Jesus Christ, at that fucking age, I mean, mo- I'm not seeing any other wrestler do that kind of work at that age. So he's doing a great yep. job. And as I've said, I guess a couple episodes back, I still am stunned by the presence that Sting has in the minds of wrestling fans out there because I just thought it was sort of like, oh, what a cute gimmick. I'm glad they're giving him some work. No, he really does bring eyes to the product. So, you know, yeah. kudos. Absolutely. All right, that's our show, Jason. Any final thoughts? No, that is it. I just want to say uh, I can't believe we had uh, this uh, interesting of a show, quite frankly, because it sounds... How dare you? I, I just can't. I, I, I didn't know what the fuck we were going to talk about at the beginning. So once again, genius, pulling off miracles one episode at a time. Thank you, Jason. I Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think you should give yourself a little more credit, but I will, I will still fully take all of the credit that you just gave. No, it was all <laughs> me. <laughs> And on that note, uh, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not be today, unless hopefully you're R. Kelly, but let me not get ahead of myself. So until next week, fuck you, Dr. Cosby. And fuck you, R. Kelly.